to join me as we look into God's Word. And I'm going to be looking in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 8, 12, verse 12 is what we're going to be looking at today. You can look it up if you're that type of person. We're going to be spending a lot of time in Proverbs. Uh, but this is our word for the day, prudence. Are you pumped? I don't think prudence is one of those words, is it? You know, it's not what they do at the beginning of like a football game or a basketball game to get the crowd riled up. Okay, everyone say prudence, prudence, prudence. You know, nothing like that. It's not one of those words. It's one of those words that's curious to us, isn't it? Because it belongs, it seems, to another century or epic of life or something like that. Victorian era, Puritan era or something like that. So when I think of prudence, a, a number of things come to mind. Uh, one is prudence. That's a real prudence. Her name is Prudence Crandell. And if you're uh, familiar with Connecticut history, you probably know who she is. She uh, had a school to educate young women, and her school was closed down in like 1844 because she admitted the first African-American student, a woman. And uh, that was two counts against her. Women educated wasn't a good thing uh, for that culture at that time. And then uh, admitting an African-American woman was just absolutely forbidden by law. And so they came in and shut her down. Eventually it was overturned, but her school was closed. Prudence. That's one thing that comes to mind. What's another thing that comes to mind when you think of prudence? The Beatles? Track two? Album one? Okay. Somebody had to educate me to that one because I didn't, I'm not as familiar with Beatles. But this seems like it crosses generations. Prudence to your prudence. And on it goes. I listened to it a few times on YouTube, but still can't get the tune. Uh, prudence. That's another thing that comes to mind. Uh, there's other things that come to mind for me, and this would date me severely, but uh, the next slide here, who's that guy? Does anybody know? He was a uh, president, a one-termer, uh, the current president's dad, and he used to say this thing that w- became infamous. In fact, I learned all of my uh, political uh, information from Saturday Night Live, and so Dana Carvey had this, had this uh, routine that he did, and he said, I wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. And he used his fingers and hands a lot and uh, made a lot of fun of him. And uh, So that's one of the things that comes to my mind. But the uh, most poignant story that I have about the word prudence is one that I lived. And it came in the great state of Montana. Now, see, you can't see me very well, but I used to drive a Honda Civic wagon. That thing was a beaut. It had lots of power, 1,600 cc's worth of it. That's a 1.6 liter for those of you that are counting. And that thing would really haul. I mean, we're 65, 75 was, you know, shaking and uh, the engine was roaring. A friend of mine and I decided that we were going to hike in a Glacier, Na- Glacier National Park, which is way, way up there. And so we drove from his place in Denver and we drove all the way up to, through Montana. And we were real excited because that year they had repealed the speed limit, so to speak. And their speed limit, you might be able to read it up there. It says, day, what's the speed limit? Reasonable and prudent. Can you imagine what some people are thinking when they see reasonable and prudent? They're thinking, no speed limit. You know, where can I go in the whole world where I can drive without a speed limit? Well, the Autobahn. But if you can't afford to get over there, go to Montana. And so we're like, yeah, let's drive the long way through Montana so we can just haul in my little Honda Civic. And so he and I are driving in my little Honda Civic, and we're going, you know, 85, 90, 95, you know, shaking and all over the place. The engine is roaring. You say, I think we ought to get off at the next... What? I can't hear you, you know, because the engine's so loud and prudent. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does the word prudent mean? And why should we even 
care? Why should we even give a rip about prudence? Well, those are just some things that come to mind. Eventually, the speed limit was repealed. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Uh, But there is a reason to care about prudence, and the reason to care about it is it's in the Bible. It's something that God declares, and when he said this this word right here, and it appears a number of times in Proverbs, he says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And wisdom seems to make sense to us. In fact, we sometimes can understand it when we see it. It's like love. You don't know it until you see it, but as soon as you see it, you know you've experienced it, you know, or you've seen it. Uh, same thing with wisdom. You don't quite know what wisdom is until someone does something, and you say, well, that was a wise choice. How many of you wish that you'd bought a home at a certain time frame before the market exploded? Okay, I wish it too. Uh, but we didn't have that kind of savvy or wisdom at the time, and so we didn't do it. Uh, we can see wisdom, and we can understand wisdom. But prudence seems a little bit more distant from us and hard for our minds to get a hold of. However, prudence has an awesome history. Um, it was one of those foundational key elements that Plato wrote about when he was talking about the foundation of civilization. And you're going to be bored out of your minds if I keep on that track, aren't you? Uh, Plato, uh, um, Aristotle and Plato uh, began this whole idea of uh, cardinal virtues. And on these four cardinal virtues are based all of human civilization. And if you lack them, the civilization will deteriorate and fall apart and, and utterly be destroyed eventually. And so Plato really laid these things out, and he said the key one is prudence. The rest of them make sense to us. There are things like temperance and strength or courage, justice. But prudence was the one on which all the others hung. Later, the church adopted these. Guys like Augustine, or Augustine, I don't know how you want to say that. Some people do one, some do the other. Ambrose, the church father. Um, Thomas Aquinas, who was a great... uh, philosopher and, and theologian back in the 1200s. They all grabbed on to these virtues, and especially prudence. And so prudence was this massive thing until probably the turn of the 19th century, and then people started thinking, I'm not going to name my daughter that anymore. What's the importance of that word anymore? It, it seems old-fashioned. We're going to be all about reason, thinking things through. But what is prudence? Prudence. Like I say, the reason I think we ought to care is because God puts it on the same level as wisdom, and all of us would want to live wise lives, right? But what about prudence? What is prudence, and how does it fit into that? And I just want to take a little bit of time together to kind of unpack that and try to convince you that prudence is something I want each one of us to mature in and grow in today and go forward in our lives prudent, not fools or simpletons. So there's a number of clues given to its meanings. One of them is found right here in the verse, chapter 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, you saw that a number of times, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So what is this word, prudence? Well, it's intimately tied up with wisdom. It's an integral part of wisdom. What does that mean? Well, wisdom, we know a lot about wisdom based on the Proverbs and based on all of Scripture, and in fact, embodied in the life of Jesus Christ. Wisdom has its origin in God. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where does wisdom begin? It begins with God. So that guy that made a good choice to buy his house at the right time when the market was just turning, um, you might call him clever, you might call him astute, you might call him a good realtor, you might call him a good friend if he helped you into a house, Uh, but you don't need to call him wise if his wisdom did not originate with God. Wisdom originates with God. God is the creator and he's the embodiment through Christ of wisdom. 
Wisdom uh, is focused on God relationally. Throughout uh, Proverbs, there's this hard word that people really have a hard time grabbing a hold of early in their uh, walk with Christ. The fear of the Lord. And you know what that is? You, you know, it's not um, you came from an abusive household and your dad beat you and you feared him because he could beat you. Or the way people talk romantically about their child and they said, man, when I was a child, I used to get a switch when something happened or something like that. Or they used to beat me silly if I came home smelling like cigarettes or something. Uh, it's not that kind of fear. It's a fear that's a relational fear. It's a respectful fear. And so Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord. It's the relationship we have with God that comes comfortably before God, like in worship, and we say, Pray, you know, praise you, God. You're my dad in heaven, and I'm so glad that you've opened the way for me. And then on the other side, it says, But you're still God, and I'm still man. Fear of the Lord. Wisdom is also something that requires everything that we have to give. You can't come and say, I want to I be wise and come half hearted. You have to come with everything you have in order to find wisdom. It's like a hidden treasure. And you have to give it all. Uh, or if you prefer last week's message, you need to uh, go, you know, do your trick into the pit, the foam pit. And really take your chance and just say, I'm going to put all, it all on the line knowing that God's going to catch me and God's going to give me understanding. Wisdom is that way. It says, I must give myself completely to it to really gain its benefits. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. This is a very famous part of, or a very well-known part of Scripture. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It says, with all your heart. You know, in all your ways. Is there an exception to that? Oh, God, you know, there's this one section of my life I really, I think I got it worked out. I don't need to read your Bible. I don't need to figure out uh, from your perspective what I should be doing. No. You know, with all your heart and in all your ways, you need to acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He'll enlighten you to wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord with all your heart and trust in him. So, That's what wisdom is. It has its origin in God. It is focused on God relationally. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then you give yourself to it completely to to gain its benefits. You give yourself to it wholeheartedly. The problem is, if wisdom sounds so complete, and it does, it seems like, what more do I need? Why wouldn't they just say in chapter 8, verse 12, wisdom, get it. Instead, they say, I am wisdom, and I dwell with prudence, and with me are knowledge and understanding. Why go into all that detail instead of just saying, wisdom, you know, come and get it. It sounds complete. You know, what's lacking? Well, not the source. God's the source. He's not lacking in wisdom. It's not the focus. Wisdom focuses on the fear of the Lord. And it's not the wholehearted pursuit, although we as humans, we struggle with wholeheartedness, don't we? I made a promise on this stage, I told you last time, I made a promise to my wife on this stage that, I would be for her always only just me and her, that's it, right? I say wholeheartedly I devote myself to you, but, you know, every morning it's a challenge to think of like, am I in it for me or am I in it for our marriage? Do I want something selfishly? Do I want her to serve me or did I come to serve? I don't know, maybe you guys don't, you guys are looking like, oh, I got that figured out. Okay, I'm going to come talk to you afterwards. Uh, but it's that, it's that reality of uh, what does wisdom lack? Have I, you know, have I served it wholeheartedly? We struggle to do so. But uh, what's lacking in wisdom? Nothing from God's perspective except acting on it. Wisdom is great. 
you know? I could read the Bible all the time, and I could, you know, wake up every morning, and I, you know, do probably six times out of seven, and I uh, understand more about God, and uh, if I'm awake and alert enough, I really get a nugget of truth, and I carry that through the day. I've had a tendency of writing them on little three-by-five cards. It's really kind of corny, but I drive a truck, and so I write them on a card, and I stick it on the dash. And as I'm driving along, oh, that jerk, oh, what was that thing I was learning? <laughs> you know, look down and read a little bit more and say, yeah, that's the nugget I'm trying to address in my life today. But if wisdom is so complete, uh, then we won't seek to act on it. Wisdom is incomplete without acting on it. Wisdom, by its very nature, needs to be acted on. And so prudence is there. And prudence is the action part. Wisdom is the, all the knowledge and the uh, insight and the understanding God brings. And then he says, and now... Go do. Don't sit on your hands. Don't waste another week or another year contemplating without action. Now, there's plenty of time to wait. And the scriptures are uh, replete with examples of times we need to wait and you don't act quickly. And you say, God, show me the proper timing. But oftentimes he says, this thing is very simple and it's to be acted on now and tomorrow and forever. Do it. And you're kind of like, hmm don't know if I'm ready for that yet. A great example of putting things into practice for me in my context is uh, parenting advice. Now, as soon as you have a child and that child comes into the world, in fact, before they ever come and uh, my wife was pregnant, people would start offering advice. Oh, when the baby comes, you should do this or that. And uh, they offer, sometimes it's crazy advice. Sometimes they set a standard that's so high and you're like, ooh, I don't know if my kid can hit that. So I have a son, he's just about seven months, And what goes through my mind is the child that walked at seven months. And what does my child do? He's happy to sit up and kind of go, you know? But people come along and say, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to work on trunk strength and you need to give him plenty of belly time, 15 minutes a day, but only five minutes at a time. Because if you give him too much, he's going to get a strain in the neck or something. And and they give you all this kind of advice. And uh, some people get advice that's absolutely crazy. My wife works at a chalk hospital. And she said, uh, she told me the other day that... um, some people come in having weird input about what they should do with their children. Like one four-month-old came in, and the nurse said, hey, what have you been feeding this kid? Uh, meat. You've been feeding him meat? Well, yeah, you know, we want to get him used to the bigger foods quicker, so what? <laughs> you know? Or um, potty training at four months. And if you are parents, you know exactly what I'm doing. Potty training? What in the world does that look like? Holding the kid over and saying, okay, you ready? Go. You know? <laughs> But it's that, parent, it's that advice, and it comes in you in like reams. And it's like over and over and over again, people are telling you advice about how, do you, how you ought to raise your child. And prudence says, some of it's wise, some of it's not wise. Now what am I going to put into practice? What am I going to put into practice? It's, that's the tough part, isn't it? It's, uh, it's walking in the wisdom. It's acting on the wisdom that's the tough part. It's not all the advice, because you can collect advice from today until the end of your life. But the reality is, what am I going to do with what I know is right and good. So wisdom and prudence, they dwell together. And that's why he weds these two together so, so deeply. You know, if you just act and you're not wise, you're in trouble. You're going to go out there and you're going to do some really stupid, crazy things. And that's what the teenage years are all about, is learning that that's a mis- Well, maybe that's wrong. That was my teenage years. Don't imitate me. Uh, but uh, it was learning a lot of mistakes and then eventually getting to the place of going, you know, that was just stupid. What was I doing in that car that time of night with those people going to that place? That was stupid. And I'm glad nothing happened to me. And I'm glad I'm home now. I've got to learn from that. Uh, That's wisdom putting into practice imprudence. So these two dwell together. Um, 
how do we take it to the next level here? Because prudence still seems like a distant concept. Well, if you open this up into the general context here, chapters 7, 8, and 9, unpack this one situation that is very real and very practical. It's the context or the story of this uh, woman. In my Bible, she's called a harlot. Uh, She's not actually a prostitute. She's somebody that just likes to fool around. She's married, but she likes to entice stupid young men to come in and to sleep with them and have a night of passion with them. And so it describes this whole story, and I won't read it all through, but it's very, it's very uh, uh, descriptive. The language is very descriptive. You can almost smell the, the fragrances that are described or the food that's laid out. Uh, and what's put out is there's uh, this, this woman, loose morals, and she's preparing to give herself away to some dude that's not her husband. She's married, and she's prepared herself. She's set the bed, and she's put things like, she put cinnamon on the bed. What in the world? She's got this wonderful ivory, uh, um, I'm sorry, Egyptian uh, 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 woven linens on the bed, and she sprinkles it with cinnamon. Now, what do you do with that? You're only in it for one night if you've got cinnamon on the bed. If you're thinking, like, I've got to wash these sheets tomorrow, you're not thinking, I'm putting anything on the bed, you know? Um, I'm not going to get too graphic here. I'm just, that's as far as I'm going, just the cinnamon part. Um, but this dude comes, and he's walking in the wrong side of town at the wrong time of day, going right by that house. And and he knows that that woman is a woman of this reputation. In fact, it says in in the story here that she slept with a lot of other guys. She's constantly looking for these young, foolish, naive, really teenagers to come in and sleep with her. And she's out looking for them. And he knows that she's got the reputation. So he goes late at night, not a good idea, right by your house, not around the bend. He's right there, right at the place of temptation, right at the place where he could get in. And he's probably convincing himself... Oh, you know what? I'm just going to go for a casual stroll at 2 in the morning uh, by this woman's house. She's probably asleep. And you know what? I don't believe the rumors about her or whatever he does to convince himself, and yet he goes by there. And the story goes on. What will he do when she comes out of the door? What will he say when she says, Come, sleep with me? Prudence is that practical, it's that moment of decision. All his upbringing, all the things he's learned up to that point, and it says in in the story here that he is a a simple man. He's a simple young man, which means he's not wise. He just just doesn't know a lot of stuff, and he's right there at the wrong place at the wrong time. What's he going to do? Well, it's not just this harlot that comes out for the senseless youth, and she uh, embodies or personifies uh, foolishness. But the other side of it is wisdom, and wisdom is out there in chapter 8, through nine, she's out there and she's calling. And she says to that same crowd, but she does it in the middle of the day at the uh, gates of the city. And she calls out, naive ones, oh, foolish boy, so to speak. You know, naive ones discern prudence and fools discern wisdom. So is prudence practical? It's very practical. It's taking all that you know, all that God has taught you, and and bringing it to bear on that decision at that key moment. And it's not just those big decisions like, who should I marry? Or should we keep going out? Or should I leave this guy because he doesn't seem right for me? Or something like that. It's uh, in all the little decisions in between. You know, should I wake up now and get ready? Or should I sleep a little bit longer? Should I stay out later and be exhausted tomorrow morning? Or, Or, you know, all these little decisions. Prudence bears on all of them. 
You know, should I go out and buy that game that I know I'm going to become addicted to and play over and over and over again? And, I, and my friend just told me he got this new game for the Wii, and it's like Mario Brothers Olympics or something like that. I don't know. I didn't catch it all. But he, uh, he said, oh, it's so good. You've got to come down and play. And I'm like, you know what? I come down there, and I'm spending five hours with you, and I'm going to come home, and it's just going to be, I'm, I'm going to have one of those, like, uh, Wii hangovers. Do you ever get those? You've been playing it too long. Your brain's like fried and your eyes are kind of like bugging out and you're like, oh, I did that too, way too long. Um, but he tells me that and I'm thinking like, okay, that's a great idea. A good invitation. Is it prudent? What I know about wisdom, is it a good thing for me to spend five hours hanging over there? And I could say, oh, but he's not a believer. I could maybe, you know. But I'm going to be playing a Wii, you know. I'm not going to be talking about the gospel or about Jesus. I'm going to be trying to beat him to death in the decathlon or whatever it is. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, but the, it's this reality. Is, is prudence practical? It is. It, it comes to bear every time we make a decision. And what are you basing your decisions on? Well, the overall picture of Proverbs brings a little more light to this uh, too. And, and this is the last little piece of context I'm going to give you. And it's a big one. It covers 31 chapters. So let's begin in chapter 1 and read to... No. Um, But it talks about, all of Proverbs talks about two poles of reality. One is wisdom, or the wise, because it doesn't talk in abstracts, it talks in practical, real situations. So it talks about the wise person, and it talks about the fool. And contrast these two all the time. Of the wise person, we've talked at length so far. We've talked about wisdom, that it's a reflection of our source in God, that God is the source of wisdom. And if somebody's wise, he looks back to God and says, I'm not wise because I'm clever, I'm wise because I follow God. It's also true of wisdom and the wise person that he keeps his focus on God and he fears the Lord. That's not only the beginning of wisdom, that's the day-by-day living out of wisdom. But also he pursues wisdom with all his heart and he doesn't lean on his own understanding. In all his ways, he's acknowledged, he acknowledges God and God makes his path straight. So that's the wise person, but what of the fool? The best definition of the fool comes actually, I think, in the book of Psalms. Psalm 53, the first three verses. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and all their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. They have together become corrupt and there is no one who does good, not even one. What does the fool say in his heart? There is no God. He doesn't just say it with his lips, he says it in his heart. That means he's making his plans... Like there's no God. Somebody says, hey, you're free to do such and such? And he doesn't think, oh, you know, I don't think that's something God would want me to do. He just kind of goes, okay. Or the fool that's walking by this woman's house late at night. And he's a fool. And in his heart, he doesn't trust or say that there's a God. And he doesn't believe that there's a God. And so this woman comes out and he's, you know, he's on the fence. Which way is he going to turn? Well, without God saying, uh, caution, um, Lost in space when I was a kid. Caution, Will Robinson. Anyway. Um, anyway, but yeah, danger, danger. That's right. Danger, Will Robinson. So, uh, but without the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, danger, stop, watch out, caution. He's just like, you know, there's no God. So, live for the day. Today's my day. Today's my lucky day. And in fact, if all you've got going in your life is today, you're probably going to make a bunch of really crazy decisions. Because you don't have to pay for it tomorrow, do you? If all you live for is today. That moment that you feel like, you know what, I need a new car, you get right in, you drive down to the lot, and somebody, somebody has very creative financing for you, which means like, you know, 21% interest or something, 
and you're like, man, I drove off the lot with this great Escalade, no matter that it gets, you know, 12 miles per gallon and, uh, and all this stuff. I'm going to be paying for that for the rest of this uh, car's existence in my family or whatever. Uh, but you make that kind of clutch decision in the moment because there's no, there's no guard. There's no, nobody that uh, calls out in your mind or in your heart that says, follow wisdom and pursue it. What's wise in this circumstance? Should I or shouldn't I? Well, the fool may look wise for a time, but he has not ordered his life to true wisdom. And so what I want to uh, lay out for us today is this, con- this thought, this dream, uh, this hope of maturity, that we would be prudent. And prudent doesn't just mean uh, kind of stodgy and old-fashioned. It doesn't just mean cautious, like, oh, I, be- I better not do that. It wouldn't be prudent right now for me to do that. But it would be to say, when God says do it, you do it and you don't wait. It's prudent to do a thing when God says it's, it's time to do it. Now's the time. Uh, for instance, love your enemies. God doesn't put a time limit on that. He doesn't give you, uh, now's a good time to start that. He throws it out there. It is wisdom, and it's time to act on it. When your enemy comes and you say, I still don't like you. I don't care what God says. A fool says in his heart there is no God. Well, there's a number of other things I could say. I uh, could tell you about uh, the embodiment of prudence that came in the life of Christ. If anyone ever showed what prudence was all about, it was Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.22, he says, The Jews demand miraculous signs and the, Greek looks for, the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ, the embodiment of wisdom and prudence. In this world, you wonder what prudence should look like? Look at him. Now, if there's anyone that should have made a good decision, it would have been him. And yet, when I think of the decision he made on my behalf, on our behalf, to lay down his life for me, uh, I think that doesn't sound prudent to me. You have God's glory over here. You have a bunch of people that deny you, embarrass you, they put a bumper sticker on your car and curse people out as they're driving. I mean, it's like, you know, you've got all, all you ever want and need. You're complete in and of yourself. And you come to sacrifice yourself for the incompleteness of humanity, their sinfulness, their waywardness from God. And Jesus makes that decision. He says it is prudent because it is the will of the Father. And I think, wow. But do I make that kind of prudent decision? I say, you know what, I don't care if this brings me into suffering or pain or harm or something like that. I'm going to make a prudent decision right now. I'm going to say yes to that thing that requires sacrifice. I'm going to say yes to that thing that makes me a servant of all. I'm going to say yes to that thing that's embarrassing or fearful or any, you know, you know, fill in the blank with a thing you least want to do in life. And God sometimes will call you to that thing, I think, just to see if you will lay it down with him and trust him with everything. Consider Abraham laying down his son on the altar. And he's saying, you know what, it's time to sacrifice your son. He's like, that doesn't sound like you, God. That doesn't sound right, but you're God. I'm following you. You know, my brain can't conceive what's going to happen. You know, it says in Hebrews that he believed that God could raise him from the dead, but he never saw that. He said, you know, step out in faith. Just trust, believe. That's the prudent thing to do. Trust the will of God. So, what? I hope you always come to the end of the message and you say, so what? What should I do about that? Is it something that's for me? Is it something that uh, bears on my life? Is there something that needs to change or be uh, modified or just abandoned in my life so that I might be prudent? Now, this is where I've got a zillion examples of people that have acted without prudence 
and people that have acted with prudence. And uh, I could go back into the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has this like tennis match of the fool and the wise man and the prudent and the imprudent and and back and forth. And and you can look at that. I was going to read Proverbs 10. You can do it on your own. Um, But it has this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth of the fool and the wise, the fool and the wise. But what about you? What about me? Uh, I met a guy uh, at work where I work, and he was a volunteer. He went for a ride with me, and so we had a lot of time to talk, a couple hours. And he talked to me at length. And it was kind of an interesting story because I didn't really follow the case when it came out. But he gave me the details at length of the OJ trial and the verdict and where uh, the prosecution went wrong and how they should have brought up this piece of evidence. And I was like, I didn't know people cared this much about a case that had already been settled. Like, it was big news whenever. Uh, In fact, I'm not even sure I was in the country when it broke. But uh, it was big news whenever, and everyone was talking about it. And then all of a sudden... You know, it's kind of over, and people are like, we're moved on. And, and he writes a book about it, and he, he was telling me all about this book that O.J. wrote that said, if I had done it, or something like that. And there he kind of, he doesn't confess because he doesn't want to get in trouble, I guess, but he, he lays out there how he would have done it so that nobody would have found out. And so this guy, this volunteer that was with me in the truck, was telling me all about the O.J. case. And then I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. I've talked for an hour and a half on that one. That's about all I got for O.J., uh, but I'd like to start talking about things that are more important to me now. I want to be interested in our conversation. So I started talking about church and stuff. And he said, oh, I go to this great church. I think it's called Mosaic or something. It's downtown. It meets in a bar. And we're talking about, you know, there. And he said, oh, you know, all the women there are pretentious. And I don't think I can find a good wife there. You know what? I want to find a good wife in a strip club. And I said, what? You know? And he's like, yeah, because they're real. They're down to earth. You know, they know what it's like to have to earn money for their kids and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, okay. So you're going to church, you call yourself a Christian, and you, and, and you seem to be putting it together on one level. I mean, you're regular, you, you're there all the time. And yet you're saying, you know, I don't want to find a good Christian girl to marry because they're kind of unreal and they don't know what it's really like to live. I want to find a woman that really knows how to live. And I'm thinking, like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So what, what's up with this guy? You know, would you judge him prudent or imprudent? Would you judge him wise or a fool? Well, I'll leave that up to you. Um, I can think of many other cases. Uh, there was a woman in my church, uh, I don't know, maybe three years ago or so. And I found out her story when she and her boyfriend came and said, we want to get married. And I said, great, you know, marriage is a great thing. It's a good thing you came to me. And I kind of went over the, the ground rules of, or, or the basics, biblical basics of marriage. And, you know, this is a covenant you make before God. And it's a very exciting time. Do you have anything from your past that would hinder you from getting married? I've, I've learned to ask that question because you'll find things out especially in Hispanic culture. Now, that, I hope that doesn't sound racist, but uh, people that have come up from Mexico oftentimes have wives back in Mexico, and they come up here, and they don't say anything about it, and they're ready to get married. Um, I, I've gone through a number of cases like that, and it was weird. But this guy, you know, and the woman come along, and she, she says, oh, yeah, I do have this one little thing. Um, I'm married. I say, okay, you're married. Uh, what does that mean? Like you're divorced or you're separated or something? And she said, no, we're still, we're still married. found out her story, and she uh, found this, you know, kind of, black, uh, what do they call it, a uh, black market kind of uh, person who would pay her money to marry an illegal alien so that he could get his status, so he could get a green card and uh, citizenship or whatever and stay in the States. And uh, you get paid quite a bit of money for that. I don't want to advocate it, but uh, I think she got paid something like, like three to five grand or something for, uh, for giving over her marriage rights to this guy. But part of the deal is you have to remain married for, I forget what it is, like three to five years. It's like you have to remain married long enough so that INS believes it because they take forever to go through their process. And so she made this decision. She said, I want the money. And 
even at that point, she loved this guy that she wanted to get married to, but she's like, I, need, I want the money more. Was that prudent? Was that based on wisdom? Well, I mean, I could go on and on. I, uh, my next-door neighbor, while I was pastor of that church, um, got to talk with her. She spoke only Spanish, and the, the parts that I could understand of her story from my limited ability in Spanish, she uh, was with this guy when he was not a believer, and he beat her senseless. But because she had nothing else in the States, she stayed with him. She was, she'd come up from Mexico. She stayed with him and was in an abusive, abusive, um, mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, whatever. In every way, she was being abused by this guy and uh, just, you know, physically, you know, beaten with words and, and beaten emotionally and beaten with his hands. And she stuck it out and she stood around. And I'm like, dude, I would have left that dude like, you know, like a, a moldy sandwich. I would have just dumped him and been on. And she's like, I couldn't do it. I had to stay. And she also came from a conviction. She's like, I believe God called me to this guy. And so I want to be faithful in it. I'm like, that just sounds wrong. You know, but she stuck it out. And eventually he became a believer and he had to repent and ask her forgiveness of all these things. And their marriage turned out to be good. It was always a little bit overshadowed by those years of of abuse, but, um, but it changed. Was she prudent? Was she wise? Well, I don't know. But the way that you make these decisions are... You gather wisdom from God. And so if, if I'm asking the question of myself, so now what? What am I supposed to do with everything you just told me about prudence? The word doesn't mean a whole lot more to me now than when you begun. Um, what do I do with it now? How do I live this out in my life? Well, I think there's kind of two poles of reality that would be helpful to kind of explore in your life. One is that some of us fail in prudence for lack of understanding. This is the young man that goes through the wrong part of town and the woman of ill repute comes out to gather him in to sleep with him for the night with cinnamon on her bed. That's the guy that just doesn't know any better. He's just walking. He's stupid, you know. That's a dirty word for those of you that are parents. You know, you shouldn't say stupid. But you guys are all adults. I think you're mature. You can handle it. It's just stupid to do that. It's unwise. It's, it's without understanding. And some of us fail in prudence because we don't understand. You're making a decision based on the here and now. And, and John and I were talking about this as I was kind of feeding him the message. And he said, you know what? Uh, this present moment in our culture, in our, in our society is God. This present moment is God. And that's why we go into debt in this present moment, I think. I mean, there's some things we go into debt for that make more sense. But we go into debt in this present moment. Costco debt, I'm talking. You know, you go to Costco and you make a Costco crazy purchase. You're like, I don't need a bigger flat screen, probably. Um, I don't need that fancy vacuum cleaner. My vacuum cleaner, you know, works just fine. But this one has a spinny thing that spins both ways and can suck up, you know, anything, including microbial dirt or something. Uh, You know, you go in there and you get sucked into a number of purchases and you buy into it, only to realize later, you know, that might not have been the most uh, prudent decision to, you know, paying it off for the next several months because I bought that flat screen that I probably don't actually need. Um, But it's this idea of some of us fail in prudence for lack of understanding. We don't seek understanding. We don't seek wisdom. We don't ask God. And the scriptures are clear about what you're supposed to do in that situation. James 1.5. Does any of you lack wisdom? Well, he should ask God. God gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So what do you do if you lack understanding and you're not prudent because you don't understand yet? You say, God, make me wise. And I met people that are a third my age that seem wiser than I because they have submitted themselves from the very first days of their life to Christ and his wisdom. And that's an awesome thing. You don't have to, all this baggage that you're carrying that you have to deal with later in life. And it's awesome. But some of us fail in prudence for lack of understanding. And if this present moment is God to you, 
If you make all your decisions based on how you feel, you're in trouble. Your marriage is in trouble. Your relationship to your kids is in trouble. Your job is probably in trouble. All your relationships of friendship are in trouble. Um, your relationship to God is going to be real spotty. You're going to wake up one morning and go, God, I really feel like I need you today. And then you're going to wake up another day and you're going to go, man, I was up way too late last night. I don't feel anything. And I think in those moments, God would say just as clearly, wake up. I've got wisdom for your day today. You know, he's probably saying to me, Tom, write something new on your card here, dude, because you're going to be in traffic all day. You're going to be going nuts all day in the big truck. Uh, you need something that's going to guide your life today. And all you have to do from God is ask for it. So the other side of failing in prudence is some of us fail in prudence by, lack of def- uh, by definition. We just lack the ability to make the decision. Or some people call it pulling the trigger. You know, we, we get everything set up in our lives. We've learned a lot of stuff. And this is especially for people that have gone to church like forever, you know. You've been sitting in a pew forever. You've been listening to sermons forever. If somebody comes up and they say, I'm going to preach on John 3.16, you say, I heard that one. You know, I can recount the sermons that I remember about that, dozens of them, different approaches to it. There's nothing new you can tell me. I'm not going to be surprised by what you say today because I've heard it all. The danger with that kind of personality and that type, and anybody that's been in church probably longer than two years, is you start hearing things for the second time. And if you hear it for the second time, but you haven't acted on it the first time, trouble. Prudence says, hear it and act on it. Listen to wisdom. You know, understand it, kind of filter it through your life, but then pull the trigger, make the decision. Don't be one of those people that's like, oh, I have this great girlfriend. Yeah, we've been going out for a decade. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to get married someday. And you're thinking, someday? Why not today? That's what I do as a pastor. I'm like, 10 years is a long time. Why not today? The dating life isn't that great, and marriage is way better. Why not today? Well, I think it's because they pull the trigger. Like, who wants to make the decision? Why not just acquire more wisdom? Well, maybe I haven't seen everything about her. We should move in together. I talked to uh, somebody yesterday that was telling me how her and her boyfriend had made the decision to move in together. Uh, and she said, I really wanted to save myself for marriage, but uh, you know what? I think this is better. And we were really careful about the decision. We made the decision. We moved in together. Was that prudent? Was that wise? Was it based on wisdom? Well, it's this thing of, do you just continue to acquire wisdom and never make the decision, never pull the trigger, never follow through? It's a danger in the church as much as it is any other place. And I encourage you that if you're somebody that's heard messages over and over again about wisdom, or you hear John preach and you're like, John, I've heard that before a bunch of times. You know, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's a popular part of the Bible. I've heard it all before. Maybe now's the time, and this is the season to say, I'm going to act on it. Prudence is the means. It says, I'm going to employ wisdom uh, for the glory of God and to my benefit. So, where does that leave us today? Well, if you fail in prudence because you don't understand, ask God. If you fail in prudence by definition because you don't pull the trigger, because you're not acting, you're not weighing the situation. And that's what prudence is. It's just saying, I'm looking at a situation and I'm weighing it, and which is the weightier? Considering everything, considering the will of God, considering my relationships, considering my feelings, considering the present moment, considering eternity, how do I make the decision? And it's actually a lot simpler than just amassing information and making an educated decision. What is the weighty decision of the day? And oftentimes God will just, he'll tilt the skill all the way in his direction and quick. You'll say, oh, I've got this great life all set up, my, my 401k, I've got a great retirement, I've got a great job, I've got you know, a good family, and I've got all this stuff, my situation's perfect, I've got a wonderful house, and God's like, leave it all and follow me. You know, I heard a sermon this week about uh, the disciples, abandon the nets, you know, come follow me, and they just, psh, 
They dropped it all. They dropped all their livelihood and they came and followed Jesus. But it's like, you know, God can do that. He can just drop one thing on this side and it's like, bam. But what about the house? It's just a house. You know, what about, you know, what, what about anything? The will of God. Follow the will of God. And it allows you to do things that are absolutely impossible if you follow prudence. It allows you to weigh the impossible against the present moment. It allows you to weigh the impossible against the present moment, you know. Which one of us today would go out and choose suffering? And yet, you can do it with God. Now, you're going to say, why would I want to? Because God sometimes will call you to it. He'll say, abandon a certain thing. Leave a certain thing. Leave a a relationship sometimes that's unhealthy. Uh, But wait a minute, you know, we love each other. Well, you know, which is the way to your matter? Who's who's got the... uh, who holds the sway over your life? Who has the uh, wisdom to employ in your life? Who are you going to listen to? So here we stand. And I don't know uh, where you are today in that continuum, you know, of which pole you're at, lacking understanding or lacking the confidence to pull the trigger with God's wisdom, prudence. But wherever you are, it's a good time to step ahead in it. And the beauty of presence is it's like a habit. It's like flossing your teeth. I'm not a flosser. I hate to floss. But I can floss if I do it repeatedly. Like, I do it, I forgot what they tell me. If you do it three days in a row or a week in a row or, I don't know, maybe some of you that are psychologists, you know what I'm talking about. But if you do it enough, you eventually just kind of go, yeah, you know, this is just part of who I am and what I do. Prudence can be that way as a habit. Like, okay, God, what, what is most important for me to do in this decision, in this time of my life, in this, you know, key moment that I need to say yes or no? And it's there and the scales are being weighed. Um, well, that's, that's part of it. But most of what it is today, I think, is just taking the confidence and acting on what you know. Because most of us know far more than we act on. We're real smart. We know a lot of the ways of God, but we're not doing anything about it. So here we stand. I'll finish with a story about the Montana speed limit. Because I think it's, it's, that, it's that reality of, of, of putting a thing out there and saying this is important, but then you've got no value to back it up. The speed limit, or the lack of speed limit, was changed. It only lasted like three and a half years. And the reason it only lasted three and a half years is because the first year it was enacted, this guy was driving a brand new Camaro, 85 miles an hour, and a cop pulled him over in the middle of the day. And when he pulled him over, he said, you were speeding. And the guy said, no, I wasn't. And he said, yes, you are. Uh, No, I wasn't. And he said, well, I'm a cop, and I say, yes, you are, so you're coming with me. And he hauled him in and arrested him. He went before the court, and the court said, the cop said it, so you must have been speeding. So he, he appealed it, took it to the highest court in Montana, and, and they said, um, there is no speed limit in Montana. How can we uphold any standard that's prudent when there's no definition of prudence? You know, that's our culture, isn't it? It says, you know what, I, we want to be a very moral people and a very conscientious people, but you come and say, like, what's the standard? And they're like, well, it could be here, it could be there, it doesn't really matter, it could be anywhere. So they repealed the law, and the guy got off. And anybody that sped in between the time he was arrested and the time that the law finished got off. So you missed your shot. (laughs) You know, those of you that wanted to see how fast your car would go, you missed your shot. But today, the church, the body of Christ is a different reality than that. We set a standard. We say prudence is our standard. Wisdom, God's wisdom is our standard. And we're going to make our decisions based on that. And it's not going to be as trivial as driving my car a little too fast. It's going to be substantial. It's the people you spend time with. It's the decisions you make that are going to affect the rest of your life. And it's things like, what are you going to do today? What, what are you going to live for today? What are you going to speak when the opportunity hits about Christ or fail to? Are you going to give in to fear or any other a smaller affection? So 
Here we stand. I'd like the worship team to come up as we finish uh, our thoughts about prudence. But I would encourage you to consider this moment as a special moment. Where you could look again, maybe afresh at the wisdom that God has put in your life, the insight that he's giving you to how to live and how to decide and how to move forward and act with prudence today. And maybe there's a very specific thing you need to lay down before God and you're like, God, I'm that foolish person that's been walking around just stupid. And I've been making a lot of stupid decisions in a row. I'm not seeking help. I'm not trying to turn it around. I'm not trying to act wise or or follow wisdom. And I'm definitely not pulling the trigger on the stuff I know. And it's time for you to just lay that burden down with God and say, God, you're about prudence. I want to be prudent. I want to be wise in the way I weigh and make my decisions. We are in all. We are in all.